0: Well, we're in a series, actually we're finishing it up today, the I'm in series, and just as a ember dies if it's not in the fire, uh, we're talking about ways it's important for us to be in. And we talked in week one about being invited into God's family, everybody's invited, we talked about being invaluable, not just, you're not just valuable, you're invaluable uh, to God's work because... Nobody can be you, be for you. And then we talked last week that you are influential. Um, you might not have uh, the influence of, who was it? Ronaldo, that has the most uh, followers. Uh, but you have, you, you, you have an influence. You, know, you, you can have an influence, a negative influence, but hopefully you have a positive influence. And today's topic is, I'm invested. So I want to start with a statement and it may not be true for all of you. It probably won't be true of all of you. And so I'm going to ask you if it's true. But here's the statement. I'm generously invested in God's church. Jesus Christ died for the church. The church is the way God designed for the gospel to be spread. Now, again, not everyone is generously or, or all in, invested in God's church. Which is okay, as long as you're honest. Um, But let me say this to you, you are invested, you're invested in lots of areas if not here. I, um, since I ended my race yesterday early, I got home and um, college football season I went to the University of Maryland so I usually watch their games even though the team's not very good but that's what fans do, right? And so I'm watching the game yesterday afternoon and uh, they're playing Michigan and the uh, announcer said, a lot of Michigan fans are here today. And they panned into, there was a bunch of people with yellow shirts on, Michigan fan, at the University of Maryland, College Park. <clears throat> so I got to thinking about that. What kind of investment is, if you live in Michigan, and some of these people probably came from other areas, some probably local, that you give your weekend to traveling however far the cost and time investment buy the tickets, hotel room, all that just to watch a three-hour football game. That's quite an investment, isn't it? Just in football. So, those people are invested there. Uh, We teach a financial class sometimes, and it's called financial peace, and it costs money to take the class. And people that take the class often have financial issues, that's why they want to take the class. But it's really important that they pay. Sometimes we pay part of it. That they pay some money to take the class, because if you don't pay money to take the class, guess what happens? You don't finish the class because you don't have an investment in it. Uh, simple illustration from my life: I sign up for these webinars, learn stuff about, you know, the church and other things, and often they're free. And I sign up for them ahead of time because I often don't know my schedule. I'll be available. But sometimes I'll be home and, and able to watch it. And I just, eh, you know, I'd rather do something else. I didn't invest anything in it. It didn't cost me anything. But anytime you pay for a class, you're more, more likely to take that class. Or think about this way. <clears throat> I have an old car. I drive around a car that's 20 years, almost 20 years old. If I'm taking you someplace and you say, hey, let's stop and get some fast food and let's eat it in the car, I say, sure, no big deal to me. Uh, you might get some food in my car, It's dirty and old and whatever. Now, if you guys have a, bought a new car and I asked you, hey, can I eat tacos in your car, what are you going to tell me? <laughs> no way. In fact, you probably got your kids wrapped up in some kind of <laughs> cellophane and you certainly don't let your kids eat in that car, do you? Because that car is a huge investment. So, the problem is that we invest in things that don't last. Cars certainly don't last, do they? I'm going to have to replace mine (coughs) probably one of these days soon. Uh, We invest in things that don't last. Now, some of us, by necessity, we all need cars, right? Um, Next screen, please. Um, so, we're going to look at some things Jesus said about investing, especially about investing in His kingdom, in His church. <clears throat> He's going to use different terminology, He's going to use different illustrations, but I think we're here to understand what J- Jesus has to say, and so that's what we're going to do this morning. <clears throat> now, we're going to start where Jesus started. We have a sermon we call the Sermon on the Mount, recorded uh, by Jesus, or, or Jesus' taught, or teaching, back in the beginning of his ministry. It's in Matthew chapter, mostly in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. And it's not a long sermon. Uh, If you could read it, it wouldn't take you very long, 15 minutes maybe at the most. Uh, A good lesson for for preachers like myself. Uh, sermons don't have to be long because there's a lot in this one. So we're just going to read a couple of verses in Matthew 6. Jesus said it this way. He says, don't store up treasures here on earth. Why? Well, moths eat things and rust destroy them and they wear out and all those things, right? People can steal them or they break. So, not really a good investment. It it doesn't last. But there is a good investment. Store your treasures in heaven. There moths and rust can't destroy. Thieves don't break in and steal. It's safe. (laughs) It's safe forever. And then he makes this beautiful statement. He says this. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. So I reworded it on an outline this way. Where you are invested is where your heart follows, whether it's a Michigan football team or wherever it might be. Now, later on, Jesus said something that verses. There's parts of things that Jesus said that we tend to ignore, and this is one of them, I believe. He said, it's more blessed to give than receive, right? Well, I don't know about that. (laughs) It's really nice to receive stuff, right? Uh, So I'm going to word it this way for this teaching this morning. That you and I are created to pour, not store. We're created to give, not to hold on to things. Uh, I think Dave Ramsey said it this way. As long as I hold on to something... I can't lose it, but I can't get anything else in there, can I? It's only when I open my hand that I can actually get things, receive things in. So a problem that that we often have is this. We have what I'm going to call a scarcity mindset or a when and then attitude. And it kind of goes like this. Well, when I get more, I'll give more. If I have more, I'll be able to, 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 to sacrifice some of it. Now, this mentality is based in fear. I don't have enough now. I'm afraid. Or it's going to run out. Now, the problem is this. <laughs> when you get more, if you have a scarcity mindset, guess what? It's still not enough. When is it enough? <clears throat> Now, I believe most people, especially people that would be listening to me, love to give. They understand that concept that it's more blessed to give than receive. But because of fear, and of course, we've been living in a year and a half of fear uh, in our culture, we tend to want to hold on to stuff. Um, But I got to think about it this way, we don't really have emotional stories to to remember and to share about um, consuming issues. Illustrate this way. Well, years ago I really wanted a a high-def TV and so I I went to the store, I bought this high-def TV when they were rare and, uh, you know, I put it on credit and it took me two years to pay for it and I was paying 20% interest. But boy, it was so emotional to buy that TV. We don't have stories like that, do we? Now, most of us probably saw somebody in need and gave something to them, especially if we had to sacrifice something to give to them. And that even, if it was years and years ago, and we can think back on that's emotional to us. That impacts our lives. Consuming doesn't do that to us. It's only as we are generous. <clears throat> so why do we have a scarcity mentality? Why do we feel like it's never enough? It's really bad theology, and I'll talk about that a little bit in a few minutes. So Jesus told this story to kind of emphasize the, what he taught in the Sermon on the Mount and this idea of a scarcity mindset. It's in Luke chapter 12. Jesus told a story. A rich man had fertile farms that produced fine crops. Let me stop right there. Why did this farmer have fertile, a fertile farm that produced fine crops? Because God blessed him, right? (laughs) That's the only reason. He said to himself, what should I do? I don't have room for all my crops. Good problem to have, right? (laughs) My crops are too big to fit in my barn. Then he said, I know what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. Then I'll have room enough to store my wheat and other goods. The text goes on. Then I'll be able to sit back and say... I said, "My friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. Now I can take it easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But, but, God said to him, you're a fool. Pretty harsh, right? Most of us see this guy, this successful businessman, we say, this, this guy's smart. God's blessing him, you know. God called him a fool. Why did he call him a fool? He said, you're going to die this very night. What's going to happen to all this produce that you have? And who will get everything you work for? And then Jesus gives us the conclusion. He says, yes, a person is a fool, who's a fool, to store up earthly wealth but not have a rich relationship with God. When your investment is all in this stuff here, stuff you can see, stuff you can feel, touch. You're a fool if you don't have a rich relationship with God. Now, we all have stuff. The question is, do we have a rich relationship with God? So what was this guy's problem? Well, he stored and not poured. And that's not what we were created to do or to be. Now, on the other hand... There is a different mindset, a better mindset, a Jesus mindset. I'm going to call it an abundance mindset. And here's where the theology comes in. What kind of God do you and I serve? And if you're here just checking them out, we're glad that you're here. But most of us are Jesus followers. What kind of God do we serve? Do we serve a stingy God or a generous God? Generous God, right? We serve a God that created everything, that holds everything together, and He gave me everything I have. And most of us are greatly blessed, aren't we? Lives aren't perfect. We don't have everything. But we're greatly blessed. That's the kind of God we have. And He even promises in, in, in Scripture that He will supply all our needs. So most of us, if not all of us, have way more than we need. <clears throat> so we're going to look at a story quickly of a, uh, that we looked at in week one. And this is an incident in Jesus' life that demonstrates uh, uh, abundant mi- mindset. And uh, we looked at the story it was early on in Luke. This is later on in, in, in the Jesus' ministry. Um, commentators aren't disagree about if they're the same story or different story. Uh, some of the details are different. Jesus' conclusions are different. I tend to believe that they're different stories, even though... Uh, the, the character's name is Simon, uh, the man that we know. Meanwhile, Jesus was in Bethany at the home of Simon, but in this story, he was previously a leper, had leprosy. The other story, he was a Pharisee. <clears throat> they were eating. A woman came in with a beautiful alabaster jar of expensive perfume made from essence of nard, which is a detail the other story doesn't have. She broke open the jar and poured the perfume. Over his head. And it doesn't go into details about washing your feet and all that. This lady had an abundance mindset. In fact, implication is she basically uh, cleaned out her bank account to worship Jesus. This offering to Jesus. So she poured, not stored. In fact, literally poured, didn't she? This expensive perfume. Now why would she do that? Well, obviously she had this I, 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 understanding, this idea that Jesus is an abundant provider. Uh, so she had an abundant mindset. If Jesus was good enough to to forgive me for my sins, then there's nothing too, mu- too great that I can return to him. Now, if you read the rest of the story, uh, this account says some of the disciples complained about this waste of money. John's account, he says it was Judas that complained about this waste of money. Oh, we could, have, we could have sold this perfume and given the money to the poor. But Judas had a scarcity mindset, didn't he? Scarcity mindset. <clears throat> Judas. Right. Why? Well, other places that tell us Judas took care of the money and he also was skimming off the top so if this perfume was sold he could give him some more money and later on of course he denies Jesus and why did he deny Jesus for what 40 pieces of silver <clears throat> and Jesus said whoa 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 stop your complaining <laughs> this lady this woman has done a beautiful thing she has anointed me for death that they didn't understand was soon to, soon to happen. And then he said an amazing thing. He said, we don't even know this lady's name. He said, as long as the gospel is preached, if the gospel of Jesus Christ is shared, people are going to talk about this woman. So the fact that I have talked about her this morning is a fulfillment of a prophecy Jesus made 2000 years ago. And it's really happening. So she poured not stored. Now, kind of ask you kind of a dangerous question for somebody who's a speaker. Have you ever listened to a speaker and gotten bored? I didn't notice I didn't say me. <laughs> have you ever been bored by a speaker? We all have, right? Well, we're going to look at a story quickly uh, from Jesus' life. And it's kind of a funny story, in a way. Um, Just as the Sermon on the Mount was kind of short, evidently, this is probably the longest sermon Jesus ever preached. And uh, the text says that the uh, teaching went on to late in the afternoon. I don't know when it started. And uh, the disciples decided, uh, Jesus, maybe you're not aware of this, but um, people are getting hungry and it's kind of getting late in the day and we don't have the food to feed them, so maybe you ought to stop your sermon <laughs> and let them go home. <laughs> um, it was always dangerous going to Jesus trying to make suggestions. He didn't know what was going on. They should, he should do something different. Now, we call, we call this story the feeding of the Five Thousand but that's inaccurate because they only counted men. Sorry, women and children, but they didn't count men. They only counted men back then. So there could have been 10,000, 15,000, maybe as many as 20,000 people in this crowd. So not only was it Jesus' longest sermon, most likely, it was probably the biggest crowd he ever spoke to, which I don't know, you know, why he spoke so long to the biggest crowd, but he did. So they said, "Uh, okay, there's a, you know, food issue. So here's the funny part, picking up the text here in Luke chapter 9. Jesus said, "Uh, you feed them. (laughs) Now I'm a disciple. I'm thinking, wait a minute, wait a minute. 15,000 people, and you're saying, we need to feed them? This is like uh, mind-boggling. This is like impossible. In fact, their comeback is what? Uh, We've only got five loaves and two fish. Are you expecting us to go and buy enough food for the whole crowd? So, what was the disciples' problem? They had a scarcity mindset. Mindset Again, a bad theology. They're in the presence of Almighty God and the presence of Jesus Christ that, and as he does, can provide for everyone and does provide. So what's Jesus do? <clears throat> he took the five loaves and the two fish Looked up the word heaven, blessed them. Then, breaking loaves in pieces, he kept giving the bread and fish to the disciples so they could distribute it to the people. Now, if you left Jesus out of the story, what the disciples, what could most, most the most that the disciples could have done? They could have taken these five loaves of bread, bread and, and, and made 10,000 little pieces, right? And give everybody a taste. That's all they could do. If you leave Jesus out, that's a scarcity mindset. text goes on. They all ate as much as they wanted, which would have been rare in that culture in that day. People just ate enough to survive. That's all they could afford. That's all they could provide. But this time, they ate as much as they wanted. And afterwards, there were leftovers. Most of us have leftovers Thursday, won't we? Uh, Thanksgiving. disciples picked up 12 baskets of leftovers. I think it's interesting. It was 12 of them. It was Jesus trying to teach the disciples a lesson. They all had a doggy bag to take home after this meal. <clears throat> so they were serving an abundant, generous God. Now notice the progression here. This is really important. I put it on your outline this way. What you keep is all you have. Five loaves and two fish. That's all they had. They kept it. If they hadn't given it to Jesus, that's all they would have had. But what you give, God multiplies. And He multiplies. And He multiplies. I put it another way on your outline. <clears throat> God didn't give them more when they stored, when they held on. God gave them more when they. Let it go. So here's something really important for us to understand, though. Generosity is a mindset, not an act. It demonstrates itself often in an act, but generosity is a mindset. And people with a generous mindset or abundant mindset look for opportunities to be generous. They don't just, you know, be generous when they're asked. They look for opportunities to be generous, and they realize that what I have is not just for me. God's given it to me to bless other people. <clears throat> so, to help you understand that, or help me understand us understand that, I'm going to talk about a, a spiritual concept that's kind of gotten lost, I think, in the church since I've been involved in church the last 50 years. This is coming from Malachi, last book in the Old Testament, last page of the Old Testament, <clears throat> Malachi chapter 3. And Malachi's writing this, his instruction to the Jewish community there. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, meaning the temple, so there will be enough food in my temple. Uh... The priests, the only way they could survive or live is if the congregation brought offerings. He goes on. If you do this, you might not do it, but if you do this, said the Lord of heaven's armies, this is Malachi (laughs) writing what God has said to him, I will open the windows of heaven for you. That's an interesting image, isn't it? windows of heaven. I will pour out a blessing... There's our word, pour out a blessing so great that you won't have enough room to take it in. More than I can handle, more than I can hold. Now, this is the only time in Scripture also that God says, you can test me on this. You can try me on this. You can, you want to know if I exist? You want to know if God exists? This is the way you can do it. He says, This is the way you can prove it. Put me to the test. I dare you. This is a dare. God's daring us to actually do this. So what is a tithe? The tithe is 10%. <clears throat> Some people might not know that. Now, this was taught a lot in church when I was growing up and when I was a kid. But from what I'm told in statistics, very few people do this anymore, even in the church. <clears throat> now, I realize that was an Old Testament verse and we're a New Testament church, right? But let me ask you something. Did Jesus do away with the Old Testament? Do we just have a Bible with just the New Testament? No, Jesus said, hey, I didn't come away to do away with, the, with uh, the law. I came to fulfill the law. In fact, Jesus did more than that. He jacked up the Old, Te- the Old Testament. Remember in, um, in the Sermon on the Mount, he's talking about, um, you know, it's, 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 a, it's a sin to murder somebody. But no, no, it's a sin to hate somebody. Uh, it's a sin to commit adultery. No, no, it, it's a sin just to lust after a woman. So Jesus jacked it up. He didn't make the, the, the Old Testament, the law, less. He jacked it up. Uh, I've said to you folks before, the Bible talks about tithes and offerings, not tithes or offerings. So until you tithe, you had not given an offering, offerings are on top of tithe. So I put this on your outline to kind of exemplify this. God can do more for you with the 90% you have left if you give the 10% than you can do with the 100%. I've shared this story before, but <clears throat> uh, we were missionaries in, overseas and in 1990, we were back in the States and we decided God didn't want us to go back we were in Portugal, and so July 1st of 1990, I'm unemployed, <clears throat> and um, didn't know what I was going to do, so I worked at odd jobs, four kids at home, four, four children still at home. I worked at odd jobs for over a year. Now, two questions, did we ever go without during those two year, that year? A couple of my kids are here, they can tell you. Did we go without? Didn't go without that here. Uh, did I tithe the little bit of income that I brought? <laughs> Absolutely. And we had offerings also. <clears throat> so, we've had a dynamic, dramatic, personal illustration in our life that, that was what, of that happening. Um, we just approved our church's budget for next year. And what we do in our budget every year is... Treasurers is here, 15%, not just 10%, 15% goes to missions. And then we also have gener- uh, a benevolence part of the budget. We also have a helping fund, benevolence for people outside the church, a helping fund for people inside the church. <clears throat> God can do more with the 90%. In fact, the Scripture really teaches that all belongs to God. And you, you and I just get to manage it. And part of managing it is giving it 10%. Why? Because we were created to do what? Pour, not store. Why don't we say that together? We are created to pour, not store. Uh, you guys can do better than that. Come on, come on. <laughs> we are created to pour, not store. Good job, good job. All right, so, final question, and I'll just leave it with you. Where are you Invested. Are you invested here? Are you invested in eternity? And in this series, we've been adding extra scriptures for you to read at home. And so they're there on the screen and on your outline. So let me pray with you and then we'll let you go. Uh, We'll start a new series, actually our Christmas series, starting next week. But also next week starts our offering for international missions. We call it the Lottie, Lottie Moon Offering. So we'll be sharing about that for the next month too. Excuse me. Let me pray with you. Father God, we are so thankful (laughs) that you are a generous God and that we have abundance and that uh, we want to be like you. And we have the joy. We've given and we've seen the joy of giving, whether it's Christmas boxes or whatever it might be. And God, I want to pray for anybody that's struggling uh, with generosity. They have a Uh, A scarcity mindset. They're driven by fear. God, take away their fear. Help them to understand how generous you are and that you're almighty and you can easily provide for for all our needs. And if anybody that's listening or here uh, is not a Jesus follower, we would encourage you to uh, accept that gift, to understand like this woman did that God forgave her, and she's going to have a, a, a personal relationship with God for eternity. And that's an offer that God gives to everyone. Everybody is invited. We encourage you to accept that invitation. Pray that prayer of forgi- asking for forgiveness and receiving God's forgiveness. Uh, God, we're going into the Christmas season. I think sometimes this is, this is uh, a time when we're a little more generous than, than other times. I, I, I pray that we are. Uh, because there are needs all around us. And we look forward to the opportunity to share with them what you blessed us with. And we thank you for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.